Well, grab your Bibles, if you will, and remain standing to honor the, the reading of God's Word here this morning. <clears throat> We're going to be in Luke chapter 11. We're going to finish out the chapter. We're going to finish out a cha- another chapter. Woo! We're making headway a year later. <laughs> so. <clears throat> We're going to be uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 37 through the end of the chapter here. It says this. As he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and evil. Fools! Didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees. You give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees. You love the front seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you. You are like unmarked graves. The people who walk over them don't even know it. Well, then one of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, will you insult us too? (laughs) Then he said, Woe also to you, experts in the law. You load people with burdens that are hard to carry, and yet you yourselves, (laughs) you don't even lift a finger to, to lift these burdens. Woe to you, you blind tombs. You build tombs for the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Therefore, you are witnesses that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their monuments. Because of this, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them will kill. They will kill and persecute, so that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible. Woe to you, experts in the law. You have taken away the key to knowledge. You didn't go in yourselves, and you hindered those who were trying to go in. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely and to cross-examine him about many things. They were lying in wait for him to trap him in something he said. Lord, who, mm. Lord, give us your heart here this morning. Reveal to us your goodness in the midst of this hard word. Lord, let us learn as your disciples learned, being there with you that night. Learning the love that you have for them by showing them the hard words for you have for those who are not with you who seek to represent you, Lord. Lord, we pray your grace and your goodness. Lord, we pray, pray your love and your unity. Lord, I pray for, a, for broken hearts and contrite spirits here this morning that we may get out of our own heads, <laughs> that we may get out of our own experiences, and Lord, that we would see you rightly, that your spirit would come upon us here this morning and to wash our hearts, to wash our spirits with the goodness of God with your shalom here this morning. 
guide us to life everlasting. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may have a seat. <clears throat> have you ever been with your friend, like you know, when you were a kid? A long time ago, you were with your, with your buddy over at his house, and his, like, maybe he like, forgot to clean his room, or he like, went and like, smacked his little sister, and all of a sudden, his parents, his, like, his dad is like laying into him, maybe like, you know, grabbing him and like, giving him a spanking, right? And you're just like, sitting there going, ooh, this is awkward. <laughs> Sucks for you, dude. <laughs> you know? You know, been there. It feels just weird. It's like, oh, wow, ouch. Ah, mm, yeah, mm. Glad I'm not the one on the other side of that spanking. You know? <laughs> right? You are completely safe from harm. You are not the one in trouble. You are not the one getting yelled at. But you are watching your buddy who is getting yelled at. Um, Jesus is, is kind of doing this in this moment, is he not? <laughs> Even though the, you know, the Pharisees aren't necessarily friends with the, with the disciples, um, it's, it's that element where, the, where the, the, the Pharisees are getting it, and the disciples are sitting there learning from it. Because remember, Jesus' disciples with, went with him everywhere. And this was a lesson, not just for the, the scribes and the Pharisees, but what was Jesus trying to tell his disciples? about the kingdom of God, about the way in which the church exists and lives. We'll get there in a little bit. But Jesus, so Jesus is cultivating this mindset, this kingdom mindset with this correction of the false piety of the Pharisees. And so this is our main point this morning. So this is where we're getting to here, this, here today. Whoops. Forgot to put another slide there. Here we go. Those who love God and love others well will inherit the kingdom of God, not those who seek to have the best theology. Now, I want to make, make a distinction. There's not anything wrong with having a good theology, having a good understanding of God. In fact, it's probably pivotal that you do. But here's the thing, having a right understanding, not simply the best theology, the best understanding. And we'll get to that, that you know, point here in a minute. Um, so... For this first part, I want to focus on that, that second half, that not those who seek to have the best theology. Um, I, I want to go talk about these scribes and Pharisees here uh, for, for just a little bit. Um, <coughs> oftentimes, they get a bad rep, right? They're just evil people. They just hate God. They just hate Jesus and trying to kill him and eventually end up do killing, you know, killing him at the hands of the Romans, right? But here, the origin of the Pharisees and the scribes is actually a really good history. So the very, going all the way back to this, this, this area before the New, the New Testament, uh, at, at the close of the Old Covenant, the First Covenant, right, the first, you know, two-thirds of our, of our book, of our Bible, um, <coughs> there's this period of about 400 years that's not really talked about much, called the intertestamental period. Uh, and during this period, we see that, you know, God's people return from exile, which is recorded in, in Ezra and, Na and Nehemiah and some of the prophets, um, <coughs> And so uh, we see this, this restructure of the people of God, um, but then we also now see this domination by the Greeks. So they were freed by the Persians, and then you have the, what, the Greco-Roman, or I'm sorry, like you have the, the, the Greeks, Greek, Greek and Persian War, right, in which the Persians lost. And so now the, the, you know, the kingdom was under the rule of the Greeks. Well, you know, during, so during this time, there was a guy named uh, Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth, 
who came in and he established his rule over this area and was and because they had the second temple in Jerusalem at this time they were worshiping in Jerusalem again um, after they rebuilt the second temple but this guy was basically forcing the you know Israelites to worship through pagan you know the pagan gods in pagan ways on the altar of Yahweh the altar in the temple of God and so what happened is that there was a group of priests, it was a big, big moment, big one of these moments, I'd love to see a movie about this, where there is like the standoff on the, on the Temple Mount, where these priests of the Lord and the priests and, and, the, and the governance of the, of the Greece Empire, the Greek Empire, were like there saying, you will worship. And they're like, we will not worship. We will, you will worship. We won't worship. You will sacrifice this pig. We will not sacrifice this pig. And then what happens? These priests... Grab their sword, grab the swords of, of the other soldiers and run them through, kill everyone on the Temple Mount, and then run away. And one of these guys, his name is, um, what's his face? Uh, Joseph Maccabeus, who, if you know, you know, know history, Joseph Maccabeus started a revolution that lasted, I think it was a full four years, three, four years, and at the end of it, freed Israel again, and they became a great nation, an independent nation again. So they were no longer under the Persians, and now they were no longer under the Greeks. They were their own nation again. And not only that, but this, this group, this you know, governing group, rose up called the Herodians, and they expanded the kingdom to its largest in, 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 in Israel's history. Israel was flourishing again. Israel was independent again. Israel was worshiping the Lord freely again. It was an amazing point in history. And they're like, okay. How do we not lose this? How did our forefathers lose this? Well, they forgot the word of God, and they forgot to worship the Lord their God. Because they ran after worshiping other gods, they, they saw that the other gods in this, in, this, in this world were worth worshiping because it, it would give them power, give them all sorts of things, right? And so they were like, how do we protect ourselves from this? Well, we have to remember the word of God, so therefore we have to hear the word of God. So what do we need to do? All right, instead of just having the temple in Jerusalem as the one place where you can go to hear the word of God, let's establish these little community temples in every, in every city. So this was the establishment of what's called the synagogue. It was these places for the public reading of Scripture. And we need to remember not to break the law. We need to remember not to break God's ways, God's covenants. And so they, this, this group called the Pharisees rose up in the midst of this in order to be able to go into these synagogues and explain the word of God. So you have the scribes and the Pharisees going in and having this authority to explain, well, here's what they started to do. They started to make up traditions. They wanted to protect themselves from breaking the law and, and wandering away from God. So they started making rules and traditions and, and other extre extraneous laws on top of the, four, um, on top of the 613 laws. Of, of Israel and they started adding more and 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 more. it just became this huge deal like millions of laws were added to the word of God added to the laws of God now if you think about it <coughs> I think we've talked about this before but 613 laws that was it America has over 60,000 who's more free and it was, it was the parameters by which they would live their lives and create justice, create a flourishing in God's people. 
was the 613. Otherwise, outside of this, live your life. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. They were free. They lived free. But the Pharisees and the scribes, in their desire to to keep the people of God faithful, actually made them slaves. And so all these times that the Pharisees have all this critique against Jesus, like the very first thing, what does he say? Why don't you and your disciples do the wash your hands? So for them, it was a ceremonial thing. I mean, for us, it's just good hygiene. (laughs) You know, wash your hands, don't touch your face. You know, we've been here in the last couple of years. (laughs) <laughs> right, but there's this whole this whole tradition of, of 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 doing this ceremonially because it made you holy, and they had all these other other laws and rules and traditions that they were that are compounded in what today we know as the Mishnah and the Talmud, uh, things that are still observed today in Israel, like they even have a Shabbat line where you can't swim this far across the pool because this is, the, this is as far as you can go from your hotel room on the Shabbat, on the Sabbath. Like of all these different rules, like you can't lift this, you can't carry your mat, you can't carry this, you can't do this, you can't pick your nose on the Sabbath because you might pick a, a nose hair out and it's called work. <laughs> and all these rules and all these traditions, all these regulations. They, however, they turned all these things. They, 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 were, they had all these things that they wanted to, to devote themselves to the Lord, to stay faithful to the Lord. However, they had turned their tradition of love and faithfulness to God against his purposes for them. They had developed a mindset that had led to Israel's corruption and, event, and would actually uh, co- eventually cause Israel's destruction. Um, through a hatred of others, inside and outside of Israel, this division amongst people. This, it actually cultivated factions and divisions, competitions, and harsh politics. You've seen the, the TV show series called The Chosen. You, they do a beautiful job at, at showing this. Even within the, the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling group of, of the religious rulers, they were divided into two schools. Hallel and, and Gamaliel, and so and, or Sh- and Shemitah, or Shemitah. There was there were several different factions, and they would pit one against the other, in order to accomplish their their goals. They played the game of politics. They stood firm and divided God's people. Not that we know anything about divisive politics. Anybody know? No, 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 no. <coughs> Jesus is the heavenly parent giving a divine smackdown to these kids in front of, the, of his disciples. They were looking at Jesus. They were hearing the words that Jesus had for these religious rulers, these Pharisees and the, and the scribes. They were focused. The Pharisees were focused outward. What, it, what people saw uh, you know, it was supposed, it was this like outward, supposed piety. They wanted to show their piety. Well, they wanted to show piety, not necessarily their piety. They wanted to show piety so that when people saw them, they thought that they had pi- actual piety. And piety just means like, you know, reverence and, and a devotion to the Lord, right? But rather than what Jesus desi- desired, what God truly desires is that inward, authentic devotion which was Jesus' call, Jesus' aim 
and Jesus' desire. He spoke to the woman you know, at the well in Samaria. He said the God, that God's true followers in the future will worship him in spirit and in truth. Right? The Pharisees had developed a religious posture that was centered on rebellion and war that would eventually explode and lead to their downfall, destruction, and devastation. They, they built up this entire ethos in, in, in and around Israel of let's fight these invasions. You know, they, call, they called it the invasion of the Romans because after they had this wonderful you know, Hasmonean Empire or this Herodian Empire, they had this, this you know, the Romans come in with, with uh, Pompey and took over again. And so you know, this was right before Jesus' day. You had Pompey, which gave birth to Julius Caesar, and then Julius Caesar was killed. And then you've got, you know, Mark Antony and, and Octavian. And Octavian kicked, you know, Mark Antony's butt. And so he became, you know, Caesar. But then he changed his name to Caesar Augustus. If you remember your biblical history, that is who Jesus was born under. So just within a generation before Jesus, Israel came back under the thumb of, of the pagans through the Romans. And they call it the invasion, the occupation, right? We're being occupied by non-Israel, dirty people that we hate and want to destroy. That was what they was, their mindset cultivated and perpetuated through their most top-level religious elite. And what would happen 70 years later in AD 70? Jerusalem would be captured and, and destroyed by the Romans. Because of this mindset, it kept, you know, these, these rebellions kept popping up. You know, Barabbas, who was, who was released at Jesus' trial, was an insurrectionist. He was one that was trying to raise Israel up, and they would eventually, after Jesus was crucified and, and was raised and ascended, would continue to try to fight and wage war against the culture, wage war against the Romans, and it would eventually lead to their downfall and destruction. And so much so that since AD 70, there has not been a Jewish temple in Jerusalem for almost 2,000 years. People were still there, Jewish and Christians, and then, you know, then the Ottoman Empire. And now we've got, what, the, the, the Dome of the Rock that's been there for hundreds of years. Almost 1,000 years, I think. It's been like 1100 AD, I think, or 1300 AD. but there's not been a temple for Jewish, the Jewish nation to actually be able to worship the Lord their God in and to have fellowship with God. Why? Because that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was for the, for the, for the Spirit of God to leave the temple. The, God has left the building. You know, when God, when God tore the curtain when Jesus was crucified, remember it tore top to bottom because if, if a man tore it, it would be bottom to the top, right? But God tore the veil from top to bottom, not to let us into the presence of God, but to unleash the presence of God out into the world. The river of life was, out, was flowing out of the temple and, and flooded out of the temple, bringing life wherever it went through his Holy Spirit. And that is the presence. That is the reality that we live in today. God's presence has left the building. God has brought himself to us. Not only do we have full access to him, but here's the deal. God tore the curtain so that he would have full access to you. Full access to every element of your life. Full access to every 
corner of this world. Not one place is in the shadow where Jesus doesn't see and brings life to it. This word polemic comes to mind. Now, this word polemic, I've heard the, the you know, phrase before and read it in, over the years of my theological studies, but I never really understood what it meant. You know, I knew like maybe it was like polar opposites, like, you know, creating a polar existence like we have in our world, in our, in our nation's politics today, right? Polemic, polemic, pol- pol- politics, you know, like politician, you know, politicians, um, or no, sorry, politics, that's what it is. Politics, you know what that, that word means in the Greek is poly meaning many and ticks meaning blood sucking insects. Not really true. Don't quote me on that. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. No side is off limits. Let me just say that. I'll just drop that little bomb. (laughs) Polemic, meaning criticism, contention, posture of you're wrong, I'm right, you're sinful, I'm holy, and I'm going to remind you of it always. I'm right, and I will stand on my rightness no matter what you think or say. I'm right, and you're wrong, and I'm going to stand on it no matter what you say. There's no coming together. There's no understanding. There's no listening anymore. Not just in the world of our American politics, but this is the, the word polemic that was going on in this, in this culture in Israel. This no compromise posture to fight against the Pharisees in this um, because they had so polarized themselves to say and elevate themselves to say we are the rep- basically the representation of God on this earth because we interpret scripture. You don't. You little peons. We're the one with our outward piety. You're not, you little sinners. This was them. You know, t- this is the culture that was cultivated among this religious elite. And Jesus was correcting them and mourning for them. And that he's saying that this is the polemic that you have created. You have created this polemic to where everyone else, if they're not you, is evil and wrong. And unless they submit wholeheartedly to you, you know, then they're evil. Basically, they were saying, you know, the, the, the polemic here was that the Pharisees were posting themselves up. If you disagree with us, if you speak against us, or if you don't obey us, you are actually against God. That's a heavy one. I mean, I remember, you know, kind of feeling the same way. I mean, the, in the world of theology, my master of divinity. That's why I'm up here on the stage and you're down there in the dark, you little peons. Just kidding. No, I mean, there was this, it was so easy when we're learning about God, when we're growing in our knowledge, when we're, when we're learning about all things theology and nerdy and geeky, which I still am. I'm still a to- total nerd. Love it. I love, I love reading. If you look at my library, it's all theology books except for one little shelf. It's usually Anne Boleyn's books of you know, Harry Potter and <laughs> Narnia. But there's this, there's, this, there's this element that we, <laughs> so in theological realms, we call it, uh, <coughs> circles, we call it cage stage. Uh, so we're, we're, we're crazy and we're nuts so much so that they're like, oh, just put him in a cage for a while. Let him calm down. <laughs> so just I got so passionate. I got so um, puffed up, if you will, 
no better word for it, puffed up, um, that I just thought that I was right and everyone was wrong. And I, I got into this place where I became a, a Pharisee. That Pharisaical mindset, that Pharisaical, I'm right, you're wrong, you're operating in the way that's ungodly, unbiblical, and stupid, and I'm the way, I'm the truth, I am the life. Listen to me, you little peon. And those little peons were men and women who had been in ministry for 40, 50 years. You know, they had it wrong. We gravitate towards people, like in, in college even. Like when we kind of separated off, we could kind of see the different groups of people that would separate off depending on, on, on agreement. Well, I, I think these things, and so we, we love and gravitate, gravitate towards those who tend to agree with us. And we tend to, tend to stay away from or protect ourselves from the leaven of those other people. You know, those who do not agree with us. And so this mindset has, you know, we, we would have thought, you know, with all, all this, these hard words that Jesus had, you know, woe to you, woe to you, um, you would think that we would have learned our lesson in the church and stayed away from this mindset. But in the world today, this is a reality for us still today in the world of Christian polemics. So Jesus' hard words, I want to talk about, about just that word, this, this phrase, woe to you. This one, like others, like brood of vipers, are examples of Jesus being really offensive. There are words that we don't speak from the pulpit because they would be expletives, right? There are several colored, multicolored words um, four-letter words, if you will, which you know what I'm talking about. We don't usually speak from the pulpit, but Jesus was speaking them flippantly and freely. Not, fr- I wouldn't say flippantly, I'm sorry. He was speaking them intentionally where he wanted to be intentionally offensive. Like I tell my kids, there's no such thing as a bad word. There are only things such as strong words, and strong words have their place. And Jesus used them in the rightful place. You know, didn't he, didn't, wasn't he just run his mouth like, F this, F that, F you. He had the F you's in the very direct portions because this phrase, woe to you, is more assimilated to words like, damn you, or F you. It's this mournful yet very strong and offensive. He was offending them. I could offend much many of us here today by just speaking the F word. So I won't. But this is, Jesus had no fear in being offensive. In fact, he, he used a strong phrase intentionally to show the gravity of their falsehood. To show the gravity of what their mindset, their polemic mindset would cause. Their polemic mindset only caused death and destruction. Because what happened in AD 70? Thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jews died. Or committed suicide. Thousands upon thousands were crucified by the Romans. Because of their polemic mindset. 
of we're right, you're wrong, we hate you, get away from us. But this is what Jesus was doing. In the church, it was supposed to be different. You know, since the early centuries, um, when, you know, since, since the early centuries, you know, when it was paganized in the fourth century, Christendom unfortunately developed into a fear-based religion and tended to crush its adherents by always teaching people who received Jesus' mer- uh, Jesus's mercy, they treated them like the, like the Pharisees who received correction and wrath. The church ended up using and abusing its own people because they inherited a Pharisaical mindset from both Jewish tradition and their paganism as well. Priests and bishops would eventually, uh, and pastors and preachers would eventually uh, inherit this this same disposition on their own people, like the Pharisees had on their their people. And what happened? 1000 AD, we see a great division, what's called the Great Schism in 1000 AD, between the political and religious differences between the Western Church and the Eastern Church, the Greek Orthodox and the Roman Catholics, the Western Church. But then we start to see some some light being being shown. Being shown, AD fifteen hundred AD, we see Martin Luther coming through, and he says, "We are saved by grace, not by works, not by relics, not by you know going and praying to the saints, not by doing all this these these things. Our salvation doesn't come from the church. Our salvation comes from Christ, from Jesus Christ and Him alone." And there's this wonderful reformation that happened so great that we're here today because of it. We're here today because someone decided to ruffle feathers and be offensive and call the Pope an ass playing a harp. I love that. (laughs) Calling evil, darkened religious people strong names like Jesus was willing to call people strong names in order to free people from the mindset of those who are trying to wield their power over others. And then now we see in 82,000, 2021, the Reformation started in, in 1517, and now we're here today in 2021, just a few years after the, you know, the 200 year, I'm sorry, the 500th year anniversary, and we're seeing God do an incredible new movement of freedom and grace and love and getting back to our origins as a Christian faith, as saints in the church, free in Christ. We are getting away from this this mindset. And so we are getting away from um, having, you know, having, you know, doubt and worry and anxiety and fear where it's not warranted. Because for, for many years, the, the pharisaical mindset through the early church, paganism and, and then, you know, schism and division, all these things cultivated this life of fear. Be afraid lest you die and with unforgiven sin and you go to hell or you go and spend however many more years in purgatory. It's not a thing, by the way. <laughs> doesn't exist. Um, we can have more conversations about that if you, if you want to. But, but Jesus was saying, freedom. You have been set free from the law of sin and death. You have been set free from guilt, shame, and the grave. You have been set free from fear, anxiety, over your salvation, over am I good enough? Am I enough for you, Lord Jesus? 
If you look into Jesus' face and you see fear, you're not seeing Jesus rightly. If you see him as angry, you're not seeing him rightly. I love how Martin Luther, at least in the movie, uh, quoted this. He says, if you see God as angry, you don't see him rightly, but as though like a dark cloud has, has, has covered his face. And when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Come at me, bro. For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. Where he is, I will be also. If that just gave you chills, like it always does me, you can see God's face and see the smile of joy on his face, beaming with pride over you. You are my beloved. In you, I am well pleased. And this is why we get away. You know, God knew that there was going to be this, this element of, of hatred and strife and jealousy in the church, and he warned against that. Paul himself said, now the works of the flesh are obvious. And that word flesh meaning this, this, world, this worldly realm are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, Here's these words I want to focus on. Hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But right after this, he follows up and says, I should have put the slide in there. I don't know why. Don't know why. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He uses these two, two pieces as a stark contrast between this. This is not who you are anymore. Stop acting like it. Because the fruit of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, is love in all its varied forms. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is his warning for This is right before this. He said, for you were called to be free. You. You. Y'all. That's down in Texas. Y'all were called. Y'all were called. I like how it rhymes. Remember that. Y'all were called. Y'all were called what? To be free. Free. Brothers and sisters, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for this world, this flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, if you let those things in that we just talked about, if you let these things in, what is it, what's going to happen? Watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. And I have seen church after church after church consumed by one another because of that Pharisee spirit, that spirit of the Pharisees. Of, I have to be right. I have to be, have the, the best theology. I have to have all knowledge of the Bible, so I'm not going to engage in relationships or friendships or, or creating opportunities that I have to love other people in the church. I'm just going to come to the Sunday morning sermon and leave and go home and not create environments to actually live it out. 
I'm just going to build up my knowledge and build up my knowledge and go and pray to the Lord in my prayer closet if I pray. Knowledge is not faithfulness. We grow in knowledge, but that's not all we do. We, I just even saw this morning, over 23 times in the Bible, in just the New Testament, it says, love one another. In the New Testament alone, it says over 100 times, just that little phrase, one another. I think God meant it. We need to engage in and create opportunities for relational settings, relational, being relationally intentional. And this is you know, another warning that Paul gave. If I speak in human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong. Or... That was probably not good for your baby. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> oh, good. You all right? Yeah. Hi. Okay. We're good. <laughs> That's what it's like. You have to apologize for your behavior later. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge if I'm great at doing Bible studies if I'm great at going to Bible studies if I'm great at listening to sermons and I have all the faith so I can move mountains but I do not have love if I don't have that what agape that steadfast devotion and an outlet for on others to show steadfast devotion chesed agape love if I have all, but I don't have this, I am nothing. If I give, all, give away all my possessions, if I'm a great social activist, if I can get really ticked off by social issues, but if I, and if I give over my body in order to, to boast, I do not have love. I gain. Because why? Because those who love God and love others well will inherit the kingdom of God, not those who seek to have the best theology. This is what he was teaching his disciples. He was teaching his disciples, you see the way that I've been treating you with, with love and compassion and, and teaching them how to treat one another in the church, in the faith, right? This is the way to live. This is no way to live. And guess what? You're going to watch me as I give them a royal shrunken, as I give them a, a royal you know, chew out. Because of this dangerous and deadly mindset. Why? Because love. What is love? As we just saw, all these things. But do you remember where this, what, the, what this sets up? It sets up this little, little ditty. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is not just a verse we read at weddings. This is not a romantic type of love. This is love for one another in the church. 
This is sandwiched right between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. That's talking about all about how you, how you come together in the church and love one another and serve one another and walk by his Holy Spirit, how you don't, you know, just have a, you know, a, this whole thing of chaos in the church. I don't want you to be ignorant about the spiritual manifestations in the church. Like, do these things, enjoy these things, but make sure that everything we do in the church is out of love, is through love and steadfast devotion for one another. And this, here, here, Paul's heart in 2 Corinthians. So here, here he says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, become mature, be encouraged, be of the same mind, be at peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send you greetings. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I love hearing stories where God's people are coming together in unity. I love hearing stories from a, from a sister church, from a, a friend friend church of ours, that just see, hearing stories of, of people coming together around the same table and they're stark differently politically and religiously and opinion-wise and they love one another because they've decided that love for God and love for one another is worth more than love for politics. Those things don't define our lives. They might be how we see this world, politically, economically, have opinions about how governance and, and things should, should work, right? But what defines you is the kingdom of God, the country of God, the nation of God, not your political affiliations in this world. And we come together around the same table and we listen to understand, not just listen to make our argument. We listen to engage and to welcome one another, to love and share. I remember one, you know, one person, just, they were just stark one place, and they actually demonized the rest of the people, and they were talking to the pastor, like, how can you let these people in the church get them out? And he got them, he got them to sit down at a, at, a, at a cup of coffee, now they're good friends. <laughs> because he was there with them and showing them how to love and listen. So it takes cultivating an, a, a culture of listening and, and engaging and loving, having love at the forefront of our minds. That is how we are to be in the church. That is the kingdom of God that, he, that we pray for will come on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. This is the way in which we want to live because Jesus, our Savior, is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the way in which we desire to, to live. This is, the, this is the reason why we have act groups and community, where we try to bring people together to a table to experience the love of God through the words and encouragement of one another, through knowing others, but also being known, sharing your life, opening up, being transparent. This is the life of the church is coming together around a table or coming together around crafts and or coming together around a pint of beer and talking about Jesus or coming together around hunting and fishing, making Jesus the pinnacle, making Jesus the, for, the forefront, making Jesus the centerpiece of our lives and conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to close with this passage here. 1 John 4, 7 through 5, 4. This is, hear, hear God's heart. This is through his, his closest disciple, John, as he says these words. 
dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. And love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God so loved us in this way, here it is, we must also love one another. We need to love one another like God loves us, giving up our lives for the betterment of others. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in him in love remains in God. And God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because he because as he is so also we are in this world there is no love in fear instead perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment so the one who fears is not complete in love we love because he first loved us if anyone says well i love god and yet hates his brother or sister he is a liar for the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love god whom he has not seen and we have this command from him the one who loves god must also love his brother and sister highlight that verse circle it memorize it boom i'll say it again and we have this command from who jesus the one who loves god must love his brother and sister Everyone who believes in Jesus is, that who, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we are God's children. When we love God and do what he says, obey his commands. For this is what love, this is, I'm sorry, for this is what love for God is. To do what he says, to keep his commands, to walk in his ways. And his commands are not a burden because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world. Our faith. Oh, sorry. I should have gone to the next one. <laughs> there you go. That's the, I had the whole slide. Sorry, I forgot to go on to the next slide. Because when I got out of the cage stage, I was religious for a long time. When I got out of the cage stage and encountered the radical love and grace of God, that I was enough. I didn't have to work. I didn't have to strive. I didn't have to wrestle and, and constantly live in fear and guilt and shame over mistakes that I had made or made. In fact, when I learned of the radical grace and the radical love of God and that I was enough, 
actually stop doing the things that I was trying not to do. Right? Because when you encounter the living mercy of God, it changes everything. When you encounter the full love of God, you don't want to do you don't you don't want to experience anything else. It's it, you experience the fullness of Him. I wasn't having having to posture myself or to fight my sin anymore, to be better than anyone else or to even be better than what I thought because I was worse on myself than I was on others. We are loved and accepted and loved by our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and filled with His Holy Spirit. And when I learned this truth, it also not only changed the way that I, I looked at myself, but it shifted the way that I looked at others. This is what Jesus is getting at in this whole passage. Have a loving disposition that is welcoming, not polemic. That is inviting because you are the light to the world. You are the light. Be the light. Shine your light. Don't let Satan it out. Let it shine. Let the light of God's love shine in this world that desperately needs it. Don't hide it under a bush. No. Let it shine. That was the you know, little kid version of, the, of that song. Let it shine because those who love God and love others well will inherit the kingdom of God. <clears throat> God. I just took a while there. <laughs> so if we hear anything this morning, don't hear woe. Hear bro. You don't hear woe. You hear love. You don't see a God with an angry face. You see a God with a loving face that loves you and wants you to love others well. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. God, thank you for your spirit. Crying, Abba, Father, in our hearts. You are so good. And it is so good to be with you and to be in you and you and us. Lord, teach us to love one another. Teach us to have a godly disposition, a loving, good, shalom disposition to the world around us and to one another in the church. Help us to let our light shine in all this world so they may, may see the good that we do and glorify our Father in heaven. Let us walk by your Spirit and keep in step with your Holy Spirit. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.